Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined today by a very special guest. She is the host of Bodies of Horror podcast, Nicole Goble. Welcome. Hello, hello. Hey. hello. So this is a comfort horror episode. We define comfort horror as the horror movies that actually make us feel good. And Nicole, you chose the movie we're talking about today. So what did we watch for this episode? We watched the iconic, the classic 1984 children of the corn. Yay. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about this movie. But before we do, um, before we pop off, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just <laughs> listeners, I apologize in advance. There will be corn puns. Um, <laughs> Jen, who puns behind the rows. Okay, I'm Serenity sorry. Serenity now. Last one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, but before we dive in, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the film in case you haven't seen it or in case it's been a while. So here's your spoiler warning. All right, get your popcorn ready, folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to really butter up our guests tonight. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. <sighs> We open on Gatlin, a rural town surrounded by cornfields. A little boy named Job tells us about the day everything changed, thanks to a group of children that are obsessed with corn. We see Job enjoying a strawberry milkshake at a diner when an older boy named Malachi leads a group of children in butchering all the grown-ups, including Job's father. Another boy named Isaac looks on evilly from outside the diner. 
Three years later, a couple named Vicky and Bert are celebrating Bert's birthday in a hotel room. He's just gotten his MD and is about to start a new job. A new job. Sorry. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the couple is driving cross country to get there. Back in Gatlin, all the adults are dead and Isaac's corn cult rules the town. A boy named Joseph is planning to escape. Job and his sister, Sarah, who has the sight, help him sneak through the fields. But because they scream that the coast is clear loud enough for everyone in Nebraska to hear, Joseph is found by Malachi. He's stabbed and left for dead. And die he does as he stumbles onto the, onto the road, right into the path of Bert and Vicky's car. They run him over, but Bert, being a doctor, can immediately tell that it wasn't the car that killed him. Not wanting to save his own ass at all. Just like, nope, wasn't the car that him <laughs> definitely ate not. 60 miles this an is hour. Not this is definitely a definitely. corn murder. This is definitely <laughs> not a, a post-mortem wound that I'm putting on here. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> they just shove him in the trunk. <laughs> yep, that's, that's, that is exactly what they do. They, they throw him <laughs> out in there intent on driving to the police, or so they say. <laughs> they come across a gas station employee who makes a few Stephen King references before telling the couple to get lost. But whatever deal gas station man had with the kids has expired. And he, along with his super cute dog, are murdered by Malachi. Mm. Bert and Vicky can't seem to find their way out and end up in Gatlin after all. Things are pretty weird there, but they walk around looking in windows, breaking into homes, and refusing to leave because Bert won't listen to his GD girlfriend. They eventually find little Sarah and her creepy prophetic drawings. Bert goes to try and find help. Commanded by Isaac, a group of boys nab Vicky and tie her to a corn crucifix. Corn suffix? Yes. Preparing her to be a sacrifice for he who walks behind the rose. But Isaac wants both of the outlanders. It turns out Isaac and Malachi aren't getting along so well. That's what you get when you let two alpha males like these ones run the show. <laughs> It's always a mistake. True. Too true. Malachi takes Vicky down to use as bait for Bert and orders his followers to replace her on the cross with none other than Isaac himself. <sighs> Drama, trouble in paradise. Some corn stuff happens, and then we end up in a showdown in a maze maze. I told you I put <laughs> puns in here, and, I'm, nice. and I am sorry. As <laughs> as Bert, like, I for one thank you. For the corn part. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a highbrow one too maze <laughs> maze 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 is fancy corn that's what okay, i always call when it, there's like a seasonal farm i always call it like a, a maze maze a maze maze yep <sighs> okay as, <laughs> as bird and the non-evil kids watch on from a barn he who walks behind the rose burrows up from under the earth bugs bunny style and using some kind of corn fire kills isaac on the corn cross bird attacks malachi and rescues vicky while she's getting away, he's surrounded by the murderous kids. He takes this moment to give them a lecture about the true meaning of religion when Malachi attacks him and the two fight. It's kind of like a ripoff of Charlie Brown Christmas when they talk about the <laughs> yeah. real yeah. meaning of Christmas. It's not and about capitalism. Linus yeah. eviscerates Charlie. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah, that's how I remember it happening. <laughs> and then the like Vince Squirrel Garaldi trio plays. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Malachi orders the kids to kill Bert, but they're kind of over the whole thing all of a sudden and run away. <laughs> Back at the barn, Bert and Vicky reunite and hatch a plan to destroy the corn walker. 
They fill a pesticide truck with gasoline and throw a Molotov cocktail into the field. It lights up and explodes, a grumpy corn face rising from the flames. Vicky, Bert, and the two kids walk back to town. As they get to their car, they have a cute little exchange where they tease the possibility of adopting these two orphans without really thinking it through. <laughs> uh, from the back of the car, a murderous child holdup jumps up for one last scare, but Vicky closes the door on her face, knocking her out and popping the final remaining kernel <laughs> of threat. <laughs> Oh. oh boy <laughs> and now that everyone here is dead i know <laughs> just oh. died from the painful level of pain hey. that i just inflicted you got through that in a jiffy <laughs> <laughs> nice oh. it was a little corny though i will say Laura. <laughs> i know that was that was the low-hanging corn okay. <laughs> there we go that's it that's it all right, listeners. Woo. Uh, so now let's do a feelings check. Uh, this is where we share our first experiences with Children of the Corn and how it makes us feel when we watch it. Um, so, Nicole, I know that you love this movie, but when was yes. the first time you remember watching it and how does it make you feel now? Uh, I think the first time I watched it, I would have been, I don't know, maybe eight and a neighbor brought over boxes and boxes of these unlabeled VHS tapes of movies that he had taped off of things that he had rented or cable, whatever. Not mur- not of murder or like no. terrible deeds. Well, <laughs> I didn't go through all of them. <laughs> okay. um, Could have been one but... mixed in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was some wild stuff on there, um, but... <laughs> Nothing, nothing that uh, was too scandalous, I guess. But um, Children of the Corn was one of them. And I, like, especially at that age, like, I grew up in a very kind of tumultuous religious environment. And so I was like, oh, shit, here are some kids that are, like, causing havoc with religion. This is wild, and I will watch it all the time <laughs> and take notes. And <laughs> I mean, especially being like a kid, I was born in Nebraska. So I, you know, when they're like, let's go to Grand Island, I'm like, I, I know where that is. Why would you go there? <laughs> and uh, was raised in Iowa. So I, you know, I'm definitely children of the corn so it's just no this is like a documentary of my youth the story of my people Um, it's a good time mike what about you i do not remember the first time i watched this i definitely was aware of it growing up like it's one of those movies i think as a kid i built up in my mind is like because it was by stephen king and like obviously the cover of it with like the sickle is like very iconic so I think it was like built up in my head as this really absolutely terrifying movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> the folly of youth. So, but I remember I definitely read the short story at like probably like a relatively young age as I was like plowing through Stephen King. And this, you know, what struck me upon like watching it was like how much darker uh, Cocaine King is in the late 70s yeah. because like mm-hmm. it is. This is probably like Bachman King and early King where it's just like 
he's not afraid to just go there and like basically everybody dies in the book and this is almost like a family comedy with a little bit of murder sprinkled into it for good measure like really once you get past that first scene there's not really a body count in the movie after that like i guess there's the garage dude but he doesn't count yeah the and there's isaac but he oh the dog yes the dog counts for and like the first kid people. tommy that yeah. they throw in the trunk whatever is it was his name tommy Joseph? That's true. I guess yeah. there's oh, a Joseph. little. I don't know where I got Tommy from. I think I think every little boy to me is Terry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't remember the first time when I watched. I remember. I think I remember it being better than it was on rewatch for some reason. I think this is going to fall into the so bad it's good category for me. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely. I will say this: like Linda Hamilton in this movie is like just absolutely scrumptious like just gorgeous <laughs> mm -hmm. you just want to nibble the <laughs> never mind i just want to just want to like <laughs> i just you know uh, a, a kernel of kernel of truth a huge crush oh god i'll stop i promise <laughs> and i watched it with like the trivia track on on the blu-ray and what really struck me as funny is like the scene where isaac comes back from the dead Apparently what they did is they glued like sausage bits onto his forehead to make it the horn look. And I'm like, that is the funniest shit oh, wow. I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, why not popcorn? Why why not like just glue pop? <laughs> just shave a cob just wanted to make it look like, yeah. So it's a fun movie. And I could definitely, I think this is one of those, like, I just say, I, no sense of irony, a cornball, like night of like cheesy horror movies. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, We've gotten into your head now, <laughs> I would say like what what really struck me is like this to me, like when we thought of like the comfort horror series, I'm like this, I think, falls right in that. Like what I define as like comfort. I could see easily why this would be someone's comfort horror movie. You know, it just has that really fun, cheesy kind of cool vibe to it. So, yeah. Laura, what about you? Totally. Yeah, I, I know I saw this as a kid, but I after watching it for this i'm wondering if it had been an ed like an edited for tv version of it because i feel like it was one of those things that was just periodically on tv you know and you you know they would show a bunch of these king adaptations so i definitely saw it at that point at some point in my childhood that i as per usual have no strong memory of um but upon rewatch i got to say the violence at least in that opening sequence is way more brutal than i remember it being i i really found that opening sequence to be like oh shit <laughs> like this feels really real I can't say that it like super strongly like resonated with me at this point in my adulthood, but I, I totally agree with Mike that it's like a fun, campy, super entertaining watch um, with some really interesting themes that I kind of, which we will, we will get into. So I'll stop myself before I go off. I, I was going to say, I'm curious how those of you who have read the short story think it stacks up in comparison. I it's been so long since I've read the short story that I, again, have like zero memory of it. So I'm kind of, I'm curious if there, there's things that I saw in the film that I'm like, I wonder if this was explored more deeply in the story and it makes me want to go back and reread it. So I'm probably going to do that as soon as possible. Yeah. But like, I, I pretty much agree with Mike's take on it. Like I, this is a fun kick up your feet watch something scary but not too scary that's got some like camp to it um mm -hmm. and, and i love the kids i mean the kids are what really shines in this movie um the performances of isaac and malachi they're just a ton of fun to watch and yeah those are my thoughts on it yeah this this might actually have been my first exposure to king like i have this memory of being at a slumber party in like maybe second grade or something 
and finding these v- the a VHS of this and Pet Cemetery in like the house that I was at and like trying to convince everybody at the slumber party to watch these movies with me and nobody would watch them and so like I don't think I actually saw it at this point but I saw like the cover and I saw like I was like Children of the Corn ooh and so that like maybe was what like actually piqued my interest about Stephen King and then I like I say that The Stand is the first thing I read by King, but I think it probably was actually Night Shift. And so this is a story in Night Shift. And I reread it today. Well, I re-listened to it today. And I think it does, like, I I don't know. It's definitely, like, Mike, I think you're right. Like, I think it's definitely got a Bachman quality to it because, like, one of the things that really separates Bachman and King to me is I feel like Richard Bachman doesn't like his characters, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like the short story like Bert and Vicky hate each other and they are constantly oh, yeah. fighting and like that is and I find that interesting like I like the way the story is framed through them so like the mystery really unfolds rather mm-hmm. than like it's all out in the open in the first five minutes here which we'll talk about I actually really like that part too of the story but um the, the short story is creepy you know and I mean yeah I love Stephen King like He's probably my favorite person that I've never met. So, and this is really like, this is vintage King that I really love, you know, but it's kind of an atypical story in some ways and then a very Stephen King story in other ways. So I love it. And I, I really like this movie too. Like it's, it kind of veers in another direction. And I feel like this is maybe a little more like closer to what King would write now or what he would write like later on mm-hmm. in his career. But um, cause I do feel like there's a warmth in the movie that doesn't exist in the short no. story, but he's, he's, he's definitely gone soft. Stephen King, I'm calling you out. <laughs> I, oh shit. It's going I down. Lost your head. Ever since he got hit by that car and was left for dead on the side of the road, it's <laughs> definitely become a bit of a wuss. Well, funny so. how that I... <laughs> and makes you want to be a kinder person. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do we have seven hours to talk about this? Because I have some thoughts on that. I'm yes, kidding. I'm going to. Uh... We don't. I'm going to say right now that we don't. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can check out a little podcast called The Losers Club to find a bunch of my mm-hmm. thoughts on that. I also had a crush on Malachi back in the day. Like, I like to shout Outlander a lot of times. <laughs> now, now, my crush did not hold up, I want to say for the record, like. He's kind of gross, but like there are some moments in here that really upset me too. like that. Maybe not upset, but I found really disturbing and kind of upsetting for like as light as the tone is. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, so I really liked this. I I enjoyed it a lot watching it last night. You know, I feel like maybe it drags a little bit in certain parts. But again, that's part of the comfort horror thing is like you can look away and do some other stuff for a little bit, you know. But yeah, he's actually Courtney Gaines who played Malachi. He's actually a pretty good-looking dude now well now, well, now i gotta I, google know, it looking. i know well he was in um yeah. he's the, the burbs in, yeah the burbs yeah mm-hmm. yeah because yep. i remember i remember watching the burbs and going who the hell is that and then i was like oh it's malachi mm-hmm. yeah so yeah well i have a thing for redheads and this might have been the first redhead i ever had a crush mm-hmm. on i also think there was something about him being like a little evil you know? oh yeah i could see that yeah. as like a teen like a tween girl i probably I, i'm actually surprised that i didn't have a crush on him because i had crushes on Jack Skellington and Beetlejuice and and Pee Wee Herman, which we don't need to talk about, but you know, we do. Well, there's going to be a documentary. (laughs) Well, we have seven hours to talk about a Pee Wee Herman crush. Absolutely. Well, before we'll make time for that. Before we had Team Edward and Team Jacob, we had Team Malachi for Team Isaac. Exactly. I was one 
100% Team Isaac. Really? Yeah. Malachi had no time for him because <laughs> he was just like the muscle man yeah. behind mm-hmm. Isaac. Isaac was the brains, and he was the one that got, like, he was very organized. He was a leader. And I love how Isaac would just make all of these little digs at him and be like, Psh. of course you would go and murder our access to Gasol Hall, you idiot. Yeah, no, yeah. I was 100% Team Isaac. Yeah, yeah, he was a real b- bitchy queen toward uh, Malachi the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say he like he nails that role too. Oh, he's like, awesome. He, there's a reason that he's iconic. You yeah, know, for yeah. like as little as I think he's in the franchise. Although this is the only one that I've seen, so I I've, I've heard it's not. That. They're not good after this. I just never wanted yeah. to see. <laughs> I would say you've made the right choice. You definitely. Well, he comes back in Toronto of the Corn six six six. Really? Isaac. Yeah. Um, because his story needed to continue, and we needed to know what he was up to, how life had been. Oh. Yeah. Um, because spoiler alert, he didn't die. Mm. Um, <gasps> I think. Yeah, I feel like it didn't. Like, not showing him dying was intentional, because you want to leave that door open. Yeah, he just got yeeted off of the cross. Like, we never see a death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. he stands back up, right? And then he's, then he's <laughs> yeah. possessed. He's possessed with the, the spirit, I'm assuming, of the he who walks of course. Yeah. in between the stalks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he who walks behind the rose. Mm, that's um, it. Yeah, I just assumed he got corn possessed, I think. Yeah. yeah. He got cornholed. I'm I sorry. <laughs> I don't... I'm sorry for saying that. I just take it all back. <laughs> I mean, so uh, many of my so many of my family have been corn possessed. Yeah. Right. I mean, you it know. happens when you're around that much corn. It's you know you got to look out. We um, share we share our stories at the holidays. Remember when? Remember when Aunt Aunt Mara went out there to the corn? She came back right. a whole different person. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she had sausage glued to her face. Yeah. <laughs> So now let's talk about specifics because we are. Because <laughs> we have so already transitioned. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a couple of those cornels pop early. I'm sorry. That one didn't work. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now let's talk about what we love about this movie. And um, I was thinking maybe we could talk about some overall themes. And Nicole, I know that you mentioned religion earlier which I think is a really heavy theme here. And, you know, growing up in the Bible Belt, this was something that I connected to, but I think didn't realize that I connected to, like, when I was watching this growing up. So, you know, do we have any thoughts on religion in this movie? Well, I think that there's just an interesting juxtaposition between, you know, in the early scenes with the adults coming out of church and Job or Joby as they annoyingly refer to him throughout the film. (laughs) It's just really an interesting kind of dichotomy of how these two sects are kind of operating with religion. Because Mm -hmm. you have the very standardized kind of community gathering, then you have this other community gathering that's just outside, and little do they know that when they go and get their coffee after church, it's going to be their last. And... I think there's also this idea of, you know, the church sign at the beginning it mentions that there's a drought in Galilee and mm-hmm. that the corn is suffering. 
And so you have these people that are obviously like going in and using religion to like hopefully um, remedy this. And you kind of have the same thing with the kids. So I just really, again, having kind of some religious informed PTSD was like, this is really interesting that these kids are just kind of like taking, making their own church here. And, and just like the blind faith that they both operate with, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone just has to believe that Isaac is being kind of spoken to by he who walks behind the rose you know no one really sees anything um although there are obviously i think little uh little glimpses of like corn bending and stuff to let you know that there's something out there but yeah that was just something that stood out to me especially like when i was a little kid i was like oh this is this is cool mm-hmm. it it reminds me a little of the themes in the original wicker man with the idea of like Christianity versus this older, more primordial religion, you know, uh, and, and in the case of the Wicker Man, the people are on the island are sacrificing humans because they are experiencing a drought and their crops are failing. Uh, and so I feel like there's some there's some kind of I don't know just similarity there that they are rejecting Christianity and going into this almost more like pagan or earth like spirit worshiping kind of thing but they're really um the same you know they're neither is better than the other because they're both kind of you know it's it's the standard like christian you know how many people have been killed in the name of christianity kind of a thing and uh Mm -hmm. and i think it's also when like bert and vicky are driving they get that really religious radio station that keeps coming on and at first it's a joke and then they're like then it starts to become more ominous so i definitely think it is a Mm -hmm. theme running through this well it's very midsummer ask too because there's that age cap Mm -hmm. yes yeah Mm -hmm. which you know i just in my recent watch that stood out to me i'm like oh they were doing that before ari aster Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah i hadn't connected kind of like menudo yeah like once you were a significant age you were kicked out of the band (laughs) menudo yeah it's exactly (laughs) like yeah especially because we didn't know that they actually killed the members of menudo that were leaving (laughs) yeah have you has anyone ever seen a member of menudo in the wild in 2021 i don't know if i could identify a member of menudo wasn't ricky the member of menudo am i imagining that When's the last time you saw Ricky Martin? Well, in he's the right. He also he's doesn't age, I think. <gasps> he's, he... he lives with me. <laughs> he's right here. Is he the guy what that's if... behind your door? <laughs> yeah, what if I just, what if I moved the door and Ricky Martin emerged? Would you just like start, how freaked out would you be? <laughs> oh my gosh. I would... Uh, that would be amazing. I, I would ask why he's not on as a guest. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> no, he doesn't like horror movies. <laughs> he, just... he doesn't, no. Not into him. <laughs> um, I, I, think the religious aspect of this is really interesting too especially like and I've talked about this a little bit like I'm kind of redefining what I see religion as um and kind of and that's what these kids are doing you know they're Mm. I mean they're they're doing it through murder and I'm not saying that they're like doing it that that's not what I'm doing I'm not killing people (laughs) but uh, just for the record but I mean I do think they're taking this thing that they've grown up with and they're shifting the focus of it so that it works for them it's just in an evil way and I think um and I mean you could also say misguided but I think what's interesting is like 
there's not that much difference between like an organized religion. The rituals are a little bit different, but like Bert comes into the church and finds it horrifying, but everybody else is bought into it. And so, I mean, you could say that about a lot of religions, you know, that why, I mean, they're drinking the blood of a person and that is a symbolic thing that a lot of denominations and religions do, you know, they don't drink actual blood from a pentagram that they carved on someone's chest, but I mean, out of a corn cup. Out of a corn cup. Yes, exactly. Um, And I also I think one of the things that struck me and kind of drew me to this was seeing this organized religion as the bad guy, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that's something that Stephen King is going to continue to explore throughout his career. And I think he's still kind of doing it. Um, It, it, And like feels like an allegory for like mindless Christianity, right? Like this is what you're really doing. You you know, you're you're misguided children killing people, right? Like it's. Right. Well, like, okay, so on the radio, there's no room for this. There's no room for that. There's no room for that. And then Isaac won't let them draw, won't let them have records, like won't let them play adult games, you know? So it's like the repression is there. It's just a different kind of repression. And I think I, this, this may have been like, I probably should more fully unpack this, but this like may have been my first step down the road to thinking, okay, maybe I don't have to believe everything that everyone tells me to, you know? which mm-hmm. I really dig. So. Yeah. I think Bert at the end has that soliloquy where he's like, there's no, if there's no room for a God that has like love and compassion, then it's not a real religion at that point. And it's very much this old, like the God of Isaac and Malachi is old Testament to the core human sacrifice. There's the question amongst the group what does that God respect more power or knowledge? I think that you obviously Isaac representing knowledge and Malachi, dear, dear Malachi with maybe four brain cells Mm -hmm. between them just being kind of like brute strength. And I think it's a question with religion that resonates very much today because I guess a country we're very much under certain sections of the country are very much under the enthrall of evangelical Christianism. Mm -hmm. And that is very much not the God of love. That is very much the God of money. And that is very much the God of like moral judgment. Really not a Christian religion at all. And I know over the past five years when the questions would come up, like how do they support someone who so obviously is against their values? It's like, well, they get judges. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's something interesting about, you know, the kids being the leader Mm -hmm. of this religion because you know the uh church that my dad was a part of um you know when we would have to do specific like rituals or whatever the kids would be the one that were leading the other kids in it because that was how you would feel comfortable and safe in mm-hmm. doing that it wasn't the other adults because you you know it was scary so I, you know, like you were saying about like the repression, there's something different, I think, about it because it's coming from someone that you, even if they're older, you kind of consider them a peer. Because when Malachi comes, you know, when they're listening to the music and he's kind of shutting them down, it's, you know, it's not just him. He has like his little gang and there's some little kids in there. Mm-hmm. And like your initial response is I could probably take him in a fight 
But then you're like, mm-hmm. no, because they have like weapons, and you've got Malachi, who's just like, I need someone's head to take back to the cornfield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also always the age old question we ask as adults, like, how many third graders do I think I could beat up? <laughs> and I think this film tries to answer that question with, it depends how many weapons. Yeah. 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 Or okay. how many jump on you simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Gulliver's and, Travels. Like, how much are they willing to sacrifice themselves too, you know, mm-hmm. because if you believe that you're like, this is the purpose for your life, then you're not right. going to maybe stop when it gets scary. Although what I think is interesting is they do kind of just jump ship at the end. Yeah. You know? it, it almost yeah. makes you think that there, I mean, there's a few true believers and then the rest were just kind of going along with no. it out of fear. You know, that, right. that's the vibe that I got. It's, it's yeah. It's kind of like the end of Lord of the Flies. Like as soon, like I think at the end of Lord of the Flies, if I remember correctly, and it's been honestly like decades, not even years, but decades since I've read it. But like at the end, the adults show up. Yeah. And all the kids immediately are like, what were we doing? And they kind of revert back to developmentally where they would really be at that point. Yeah, I think they all start mm-hmm. like crying or something. Like, if I were, if that, that scene is in my head and I don't know if it's a false memory or not. Yeah. But but I think also yeah. like, the kids revert back to form like after Bert basically best Malachi in a feat of, you know, when they're like wrestling with one another. Once they like, once Malachi's been really exposed as a mm-hmm. bully, like that bully no longer has any power over everybody except for like your truest of true believers at that point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the, the real adults are here. We can, we can run mm-hmm. away now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, they're, they're kids too. And I think like yeah. we were saying, Nicole, like about there's an older, a slightly older kid. It's like giving permission, you know, to, to follow this road. And I feel like kids just are a little more impressionable because they don't have the judgment that I think adults do. They don't always see like when I'm thinking about my own kids, they don't see the wider consequences to things, um, which sometimes I think could lead them to be a little braver than I am now. You know, like my kids will kind of just jump into things and like wear whatever they want. And they don't like care if people are going to like laugh at them. Like they don't really, they're not susceptible to that, but it also like, this is kind of where that goes wrong. And they're like really willing to follow. And I mean, they're murdering their parents, you know, like it's really dark. And Mm -hmm. I think the thing that we don't really get in the story is the moment, like we don't have Job in the beginning of the cafe where, I mean, he watches them murder his dad. You know, and mm-hmm. that's and it's just it's for like kind of a lighthearted, like corny movie. Like there's a lot of like, I wonder what the rest of those kids are going to do after this. No. You know? Right. This, it just seems to be no interest in really exploring that. Let's face it. Right. Like, that's a heavy thing. Like at the end of the like the end of the movie, it's kind of like, hey, let's do you think they like Bert and um, Vicky. Yeah. Vicky like joke about like let's take him in for a night sure how about a week sure how about a month no yeah and the kids are like like, yeah 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 Yeah, they're like we have nothing our parents are dead the kids are like we're still orphans yeah but they straight up kidnap these kids because (laughs) there's that and then they knock out this other girl who is also a child she is Mm -hmm. also a child well, that to me was the funniest moment in the movie. I, I absolutely adore that moment because, like, 
it has that stinger horror where she jumps out of the uh-huh. back seat and he's like womp and he's like oh jeez yeah. you know i just knocked her out mm-hmm. like what are we gonna oh, do she's all cold oh shit right. oh no I and mean, he's like we're gonna get the fuck out of here like what do you think we're gonna do what we should have done like 90 right. minutes like, ago i've been saying this like, since we came into this town <laughs> like we right like-, mm-hmm. like that to me made me laugh and then they walk up and kid i question like, can you technically kidnap orphans? Because how? Who are you kidnapping them from? Well, there's no question of themselves. hey, do you have any other family around yeah. here, like grandparents? No, there is um, nobody. There's they're all dead. Yeah, but maybe the grandparents well, lived in other towns. I'm, maybe they live in it's just Terre Haute. Yeah, they they did. They lived in Terre Haute. <laughs> they lived in the in the sand dunes. Yeah, um, <laughs> they lived near well, Omaha. Do you think the grand? Do you think the grandparents may have come looking for them though at some point? Well, like, huh? I mean, like, if you're, if let's put it this way, like, I would hope that, like, if I were to keel over and die, my mom at some point in the three years that passed between me, like, keeling over in my couch and her thinking, like, maybe I should check to see if Mike is okay. Yeah. As, as well as his daughter. Like, you would hope that would happen, you yeah. know? I mean, it's been three One years. I think they were fooled by the signs, though. Yeah, you know? they like, all tipped Decided yeah. to said that way and that way, which I that kind of cracked me up a little bit. It's yeah, like, and if there's, there's no, there's no working phones, if they, yeah, it also, I think we're yeah. existing kind of a heightened magical reality here. Yeah. They didn't take the time to, like, work through logistics. If you if you right. really try to dig this apart, there's a lot of logistical problems mm-hmm. throughout right. this entire yeah. thing. So, yeah. Like, and I don't feel like those kids ever like got to see like the crime dog McGruff commercials about stranger danger <laughs> yeah. where they would know not to go with like. Right. It was 84. I mean, this was right when that stuff was all kicking in. So they missed all those PSAs. Yeah. They would just get in the car with anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Hey, he's a doctor. Okay. And he knows mm-hmm. how to make Molotov cocktails. So he's the safest person. But yeah, Nicole, you're, I think you're right. I think this is not okay for them to just mm-hmm. like pick up these kids. Like they're hitchhikers. I mean, again, you know? Let's take you. Would you leave them with murdering religious fanatics, though? Like, is that the better? No, I take them like... to. Yeah, I think it's more the goofy way they treat it. It's more like, okay, we're gonna yeah. get you some help, kids. Like, well, you're gonna be okay. You're with us now. That's the way you talk about it. Not just like, could you maybe mm-hmm. stay with us? Oop, like and doing the game yeah. of like keep away or something. <laughs> like it's right. Yeah. Like we have a pony at it's our house. Inappropriate. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a very wild tone. Right. And it's like, get in the car. The last kid that was in here was the dead one that we put in the trunk. He's probably like, still in the trunk. I know. He I really. Oh I desperately. God. No, he's right. totally still in there. That's what I, I wrote that in my notes. I'm like, I desperately want to see how they go. Like, whatever the next town is that they get to. How are they going to explain this to some like small town Nebraska cops that are like, yeah, we got these kids. Um, Everyone back there is dead. Go check out our car. And they're like, there's a dead child in here. Like your right. story <laughs> is not holding up. No, no, I, right. I have to kill the kids because they were possessed by a corn demon. And they're like, uh, you're going to jail. <laughs> like, exactly. It's like that scene in We Need to Talk About Mary where like Ben Stiller is arrested and they think that like. <laughs> He's the serial killer, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I do this all the time." He's thinking they're talking about picking up hitchhikers, and then the other cop just beats the shit out of him. Like, like Bert is in for a world of legal hurt when someone stumbles upon his car and finds like a dead right. kid in the trunk. Right. I know. I was thinking that is, about that. That is hard to explain. Dead kids in the trunk. Not that I know from personal experience, they are hard to explain away. I hope you're not saying that from personal. Experience. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's just interesting to watch this movie like 
given what the this is the 80s so this is like 40 years almost 40 years away and the source material is even more than that and like knowing like you can't just call the police from your cell phone and the next Mm -hmm. town is miles away and like what do you do and should you leave the body there and like should you get out of there because there's Mm -hmm. a killer you know and it's just interesting you know and i think the thing in the story's favor about bert and vicky hating each other is that works in the story's favor is that's why Bert wants to explore the town to like so that Vicky's not right that it's creepy like mm-hmm. he wants to kind of stick it to her a little bit you know uh-huh. and it's it's just interesting yeah I'd like to talk about their relationship a little bit I think it's a really interesting theme in this yeah because he just won't commit you know yeah it's I feel like like it's almost there as a theme but they I feel like they didn't commit to it enough to like really grounded enough for me to believe you know what's going on it feels a little like they started to explain it and then and then didn't really I feel like that about a lot of Bert's characterization like his behaviors to me were striking me as just like so stupid and pissing me off like him just being like no let's just keep exploring the town and yeah, if they had rooted it a little bit more in like he wants to, like if they, I think you, if you want to pull that off as a punchline, you need to set have a setup. So there needs to be a thing like already occurring in the writing where like he always has to be right, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't set that up as a characteristic. He's just like vaguely wishy washy toward her and seems a little less passionate about the relationship than she does. Like that's all they really establish. And then also like yeah. I, I kind of was, I couldn't remember if in the short story there was some theme where like they should have been drawn to this town for a reason. And like maybe he's actually from there as a child and it saw the corn guy and repressed it you know I just felt like I was craving more explanation for all of their behaviors and I feel like they sort of set up the the hints at that but then didn't you know there was no payoff for it yeah I don't know it was just something I was it was driving me crazy while I was watching it but yeah no it's I, it's hard for me to figure out who the the lens of the movie is from as well. You know, like, who are we supposed to be rooting for? Are we supposed to be rooting for Bert or Vicky? And I think it's just not really that clearly defined. But that's something that King, I feel like I almost always know who he wants me to sympathize with, you know. Um, and I know that he, Stephen King, originally wrote the screenplay for this. And apparently they said it was like 30 minutes of Bert and Vicky hating each other. So they were like... Okay, we're gonna have somebody rewrite this. So, yeah. um, but he had the right instincts which, to do that to like set he, up those char- yeah. that characterization. Yeah, but I I will say I don't always love Stephen King's screenplays. Um, as much as I love him as a writer, I think he needs the context of like description. You know. Yeah. Because so much of his stuff is internal. Right. It's really hard to do that on. Yeah, it is, it is hard. Yeah. That's why a lot of his adaptations aren't good. You know, it's like it's he is his no. stuff is hard to get right on film, in my opinion. It is. Yeah. Um, even for him, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but it was intentionally a metaphor for the Iran revolution Mm -hmm. and the dangers of religious zealotry, which I think is pretty clear. And that's the thing, like I'm saying, like when I, who's the lens, because I feel like Bert is kind of coded as good guy, you know, but we're never, but then Vicky is kind of coded as good girl, but they're, and they kind of like have this push pull, but we never quite know what it's about. Like she wants to have a family or what yeah i don't know it's just i i like bert and vicky in this movie and i think like i get it's been so long since i've read the book i don't remember them hating one another but i went back and read the synopsis and like i have a, a thing about like especially with like modern horror like groups of people that are quote-unquote friends but they all despise one another 
you know, like that to me, it's more interesting to watch. Like the, it is a flawed couple. I think, you know, Bert, you could say is probably too enamored with his job and less so of his like partner. But I think it's, you know, more interesting to watch a flawed couple um, that they have imperfections, but they're not like immediately distasteful. Like you don't want to see Linda Hamilton and Peter Thorne. Is that Peter Thorne? Peter that... Horton, I think. Peter Horton, okay. Who heard he who walks behind the rose. I was waiting. Hey! As soon as I heard Horton, I was biting um, my tongue not to. Yeah. So, but it's definitely more interesting to kind of watch them interact with one another. I think like foibles and all. They're definitely a flawed couple, but I think that they do in the end care about one another. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like Vicky is definitely the more passive character, but she's also the much more sensible character. Yes, by far. I want to throw this out. I don't necessarily fault him for wanting to explore the town because I just think like my own instinct as an adult that thinks he's infallible would be like there's a completely abandoned town right now. I want to do some exploring just to scratch that itch. Well, and I think that you hit on something that really stood out to me as well. Like he's a doctor, right? I think that that feeds into that idea even more. Like I am, you know, like that infallibility. And and I agree with what you guys have been saying about the relationship because I do like some of the smaller moments. Like when they first wreck you know, she hits her head, and of course, he, in I think a very great doctor move, just kind of presses on it for a minute and is like, "You're fine," because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's what you go to school for, I imagine. I'm not a doctor; I don't play <laughs> one anywhere, but that seems <laughs> legit. And then when she's like having that nightmare, he just kind of blows it off and is like, "All right, get you know, get up. Mm-hmm. Let's figure this out." So I I think there are some small moments that create this interesting kind of because I agree with what Mike was saying. It does. I think it would be really grating if they went so far the other way. Like then it would be like, I please Malachi just kill them. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do like that. There's a little bit more of that chemistry on the other end as well Mm -hmm. and why they would be together but it just to me felt like this is a road trip that will eventually end with them parting ways yeah well because they'd be in prison because there's a dead body (laughs) even without that though even without the dead children and the child and the kidnapping (laughs) yeah well that's what brings them closer together they're gonna be great parents just great parents (laughs) oh yeah i mean kids fix bad relationships too you know especially when commitment is the problem yeah that'll do it definitely bring them into this this dynamic well that's what i was saying i I think all these pieces are there for something really interesting i'm just a little like i wanted it to be explored a little more deeply and paid Mm -hmm. off a little bit more and and my point of him being Mm -hmm. i I would not explore a town and just be like "Hmm, this is a good time to go exploring when you have the dead child in your trunk (laughs) yeah they seem to kind of forget about that yeah it's like i'm like we need to get the fuck out of here and get to a phone asap like you know Yeah. yeah But I think, wasn't that why he was exploring? Like, he wanted to find a phone? Yeah, yeah. but come on. Works. Like, we know, like, everything's dead. We've got a dead kid that was killed, like, a, a half a mile down the road. Something is fucked up here. There's corn on everything. This right. is not the place. <laughs> we know there's another hey. town not far from here. Get the fuck out. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I do like, at one point, 
when he runs into the dude from the garage, the dude looks at his car and sees the blood on the front of it. And he's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't Mm -hmm. see that. And I got to admit, if I was Bert and like there was nobody around in this town, I may take that opportunity to dispose of the kid's body in a place and then just like slowly drive away like nothing happened here. I don't know myth is on the radio. It's I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. We got blackmail now. Yeah. Well, okay. Yes. Can we talk about Crazy Corn Ralph? Because yes. I love him. <laughs> like I'm on the record as loving Crazy Ralph from Friday the Thirteenth. And oh, he's the best. Oh man. Thank you. I and I love this guy. And I don't know if he actually has a name, right? Is it's just- Dale. Dale. I love this scene, and I love how many Stephen King references there are in this scene too. Like there, there are a lot throughout this movie. Like Hemingford Home is where Mother Abigail from the stand is from, and nineteen is like an auspicious King number. And what is the deal? Like he's getting like they're not killing him, so they get gas a hole. Yeah, they call it. He Mm -hmm. supplies them with the gas and the oil, thus the gas a hole. And that yeah, Isaac rightly berates Malachi for leading that attack and cutting off their supply. And I thought it was like delivering victims at first, but I don't necessarily get that vibe because he's like, no, 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 get get the hell out of here. Yeah, my brain read it as like he didn't deliver them and that's why Malachi attacked because he saw that as a transgression, but I don't think it was, Mm. I think Malachi was just a dumbass. Yeah, he's got a taste for blood Mm -hmm. now. Malachi just wants to watch the world burn at the end of the day. (laughs) It's really what Malachi- This is the real Joker origin story. (laughs) He nah, walks away from real... the cornfield popcorn. <laughs> I, I can see the visual. Yeah, it's, I don't it's know a if big, it's working. Yeah, oh, I'm so sad that in all that flame, we didn't get like popcorn coming out of this. Oh film. my God, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I had, Oh, that would have been great. I had forgotten that there actually is a otherworldly entity. I know you don't see it. Like I completely forgot that there is like an otherworld entity in this. Mm. And I just remembered it being in the movie just a bunch of like dumb kids that took religion way too far and i guess the effect the one where it's like pulling um under the under the cornrows you first see it kind of like tremor style Mm -hmm. it's literally like a wheelbarrow pulled on some they're like yeah it took like a hundred bucks to come up with that effect Mm -hmm. like that's pretty impressive but i forgot that there's like a big bad (laughs) in this i just thought it was a bunch of dumb kids yeah well and you know it might be one of the big bads from the king of verse um Although I don't think that's ever really been confirmed, but what like a thinny or a, an it? No, uh, that he might be a manifestation of another person that pops up quite a bit. Flag, yeah, oh, yeah well, that's what Randall Flag. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That that makes more sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but that's an example of le- like less is more. Dirt, like a dirt mound. Like I really dig that. Yeah, effect. I think that's really yeah. cool. You know. Yeah, because when they do do those kind of special effects, I don't know what you call it, but that when they would do almost like the painting on the cells of the film, you know, it, it doesn't look great. Uh, rotoscope. Yeah, I'm not. Is, yes, yes, that's what it is, and I, I know what that means. <laughs> but it's so cool. Like that's that comfort horror. I'm like, I can look at this effect mm. and think how cheesy it looks, mm-hmm. but like. I love like when you just kind of lean into the cheesy a yeah. little bit, you know, totally. the same with that face that pops up from yeah. the corn, which is a Stephen King thing, but like, it's just a grumpy face rising from fire, which I just love. Well, it very much puts a timestamp on mm-hmm. the era of this film. And I think that's, you know, when we're talking about comfort horror, 
you know, oftentimes it is about going back to those things that you watched as a kid or when you were younger because it just kind of hits all of those soft spots and seeing those amazing effects at the end <laughs> just really cements it back to that time for me. And I, yeah, it was remade, I know, in 09. And I think it's a little bit more uh, in keeping, I watched it once, but I think it's much more faithful to some of the elements of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think does kind of, I mean, obviously, the special effects are going to be a, a lot different there. But, you know, it's just, I, I want that, I want that extra layer of cheese. Totally. Because it's like, the, that's the safe scary, you know? Like, yeah. I know this is supposed to be scary because it's like scary in quotation marks, which is the same as, like, Isaac after he's been cornified, you know? Like, he, he looks like what we're supposed to think is scary. So you get that like excited, scary feeling, but I don't, I'm not afraid he's behind me. He's mm-hmm. not going to be like lurking under my bed, you know, which right. I just love. And it, I will say the rotoscoping still holds up better than early CGI, like in the Langoliers or yeah. something. Like there's nothing that has aged more poorly than early CGI. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now, one of the things that did really disturb me when I was watching this is the scene where Malachi is like dragging her around like he's got like her, by her by hair. hair yeah it's yeah he's, he's, he really comes out. I mean that performance it's genuinely scary and brutal oh. it is and I read some kind of uh interview or I saw an interview where he talked about how he was really nervous because this is like Lyndall Hamilton you know and he's like th- this was maybe one of his earlier roles and so he just kind of went a little too far I think when he looks in retrospect he told them and I think this is like is this her first role or one of her really earliest mm-hmm. like this is pre- this might even be pre-Terminator. I know it's the same year, but it may have been filmed. I, it probably was before filmed that. before that. I think it was yeah. released but after. She she tells him like, "Go ahead and like be as hard as you want." And I guess he really bruised her. Yeah, bruised her. Like, he definitely her left face. marks. Yeah, yeah. So <sighs> you know, yeah, and it just watching her like the the jerky movement she has because yeah. he's just like like r- ripping her hair mm-hmm. around. You know, mm-hmm. it just that, that yeah. upset me. You know? Well, the whole thing where she's getting like brought in and put up on the corn suffix, I think <laughs> is like it you're right because she looks legitimately like messed up. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not over the top. It's real. And yeah. I think that is something like she just has this look on her face like freaked out that this kid, you know, is kind of roughing her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she sees the skeleton on the like a neighboring crucifix, and like mm-hmm. I, I, that's why I said there's these tonal shifts in this movie where there's moments where it's like kind of campy and cheesy, but there's moments of violence in it, like the opening sequence when he's dragging her around when she's getting put up, like it feels really real, you know. And it, it just yeah, it, it, it I'm not sure what to take mm-hmm. from it, but I noted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love the weapons, you know, like they're just very like old. They feel like artifact kind of weapons, like the sickle and just I I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's just really spooky, Mm -hmm. you know. It feels really brutal, like an intimate, like something like a gun, Mm. you know, that puts distance between you and the victim. But like those like sickles and knives and things feel really like they're farm implements. It's like, you know, it's creepy. Yeah, and there's like an industrial quality to it, like kind of the I guess like you see in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, kind of like yeah. this is what you use for work, and am I yeah. is killing me your work, you know, which is just upsetting, you mm-hmm. know. 
But it's interesting because we're talking as we're talking through this, like there are a lot of upsetting things in this movie, but I don't think you feel it watching. Like it's very much kind of mm. like a ride, you know, and it's just kind of like yeah. skimming the surface of a lot of it. And I think it kind of navigates that very well, mm-hmm. you know, so that you don't have to really think about it yeah. too much. Nicole, what do you think of the idea that these kids are like willingly sacrificing themselves? Like no one, none of the children are doing anything they don't want to do. Right. So I think that's one of the things that makes this, you know, when we're talking about the things that kind of stick with you as being a little bit more disturbing, like the whole sequence in the church with Amos when he's carving himself and, you know, they're explaining like he's going to be offered up because this is what happens when you turn uh, a certain age. And if I'm remembering the book, there's this whole thing. Like Isaac, when he comes back, he's like, oh, by the way, you know how it was 19 when you had to die? JK, yeah. now it's 18. Yeah, and, that's how it ends, yeah. right? The kids march to the fields. And it's so disturbing. And mm-hmm. it's also something that you don't, you don't really get a sense of how the other kids were brought in. You know that there's distance with Job and Sarah because... You know, Joe was the only kid at church. So obviously he's not attending service in the cornfields. He's going with mom and dad. And so is Sarah. She had mm-hmm. to stay home sick. And I just, I think what would make this even more, I think, potent would be more kind of that lead up of like, how were these kids getting mm-hmm. brought in? to this cult what was isaac kind of selling them if you're going to use isaac because again that's something that's changed from the book Mm -hmm. and i think there are definitely hints of it like you have the i know in the book when they put on like the brim fire and brimstone radio program that it's actually a child's voice and maybe i misheard it but it didn't sound like a kid's voice on in the movie it just maybe was like so you definitely get the idea like and that's all that was on so like these kids would have been indoctrinated and that's what they would have known you know they're obviously they're quoting the bible so they you know even though like those are the only two kids who are at that particular church service you get the feeling that like in the town sunday church was a big thing and you were getting like hours and hours and hours of getting indoctrinated in this like old school religion and then also like i know part of the story at the end when the kids march into the fields of their death at age 18. Like Malachi is one of them. And one of the women left behind is like a, the teen girl who's pregnant. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that is like very important in the book is like these kids that are like barely in their teens are all of a sudden like trying to they're reproducing so they can keep the line going. And that's not really explored in the movie. And it's just like a very disturbing visual. Yeah. It is. And it's, you know, I think there's a bigger, I think, time gap, too, between, um, Mm -hmm. like, in the film, it's only three years from when all the adults were killed and Bert Mm -hmm. and Vicky come through. And I think in the book, it's like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's close. I think, like, Isaac is nine when he takes over the cult, and he's probably fast coming on that age, 18, 19. And so, yeah, I mean, to see more of that progression I think would really I think you know if someone was going to go back and do another take on this 
um, because I think the generational elements of any kind of cult, religious-based horror, I think is something that really sticks with me. And I think also, mm -hmm. like, these kids that are sacrificed, you know, that, that's something, um, you know, like, growing up with the church that my dad was a part of, um, you know, it. there were times where, you know, if someone just this idea of death just seemed very I don't know just really kind of messed with me as a kid and mm -hmm. and I saw that in this film with like how willing they were to just go mm -hmm. and it seemed like mm -hmm. every like all the other kids just really were 100% let's go up until mm -hmm. the very end Job mm -hmm. and Sarah were the only ones that weren't and I want to yeah. know why yeah right so what do you feel were the hooks for the you know the background of you the church that you grew up in like what was the hook that drew people into it well i think it's the hook that draws anyone into kind of the fire and brimstone uh evangelical types of teaching i it was about being i think right and mm -hmm. feeling that you were living the correct and right life and yep here are the ways that God is supposedly affirming this to you. You know, one of the things that, you know, I was maybe like four or five and they would have like these tent revival type events. And my dad would have me like go to these kind of like faith healing things where people would pray over you and you would have to do all of these things as part of this ritual. And I had no idea what was going on, but it was like, well, I have to do it because it's my dad. And then there's that, you know, we talked about earlier, like, you know, after all of this, what the kids that survived, what then? Like, mm -hmm. how were they kind of dealing with what they've been through? Mm -hmm. But like, yeah. after that, like, hey, dad, I still have my disability. Did it not take? Were you ever given any sort of... Like, what sort of explanation, when you would question that, like, what, because as a child, you're often dismissed. Yeah. Right? Like, when you raise huge questions like that as a child, you're dismissed. Oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. Like, what sort of explanations were you given? Yeah, I mean, it was just like, well, you just don't understand what God's uh, will is. And... Yeah that's something that you you just don't know and you'll have to stay mm -hmm. in the church but then it was also this um you know my dad was someone that was like well the fact that you have you know like you were born with this disability and you're not being healed through this practice maybe there's something wrong with you and i can't i can't I was yeah he's mm -hmm. like i can't cuz i remember crying um thinking like well am i going to get in heaven Am I going to be able to, like, see my family that gets in there? And he's like, well, probably not, because they're, you, we do not consider you, like, a whole person. Um, and so, sorry about it, um, but you just don't understand, like, what, what that means for you, because God just hasn't revealed it yet. And I'm like, well, I, what else can God reveal? Yeah. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're already telling me that, like, there's, you know not a happy outcome for me at the end of this like did you find yourself losing well, if, if that's the case like fuck god at that point i'm not really interested in what he has to reveal yeah um i mean again 
I was more, I think, just really sad and mm -hmm. scared and anxious because it, you know, um, I spent summers with my dad um, and then would have to go home to my mom. And, you know, my dad would be like, well, your mom also is not going to go into heaven. So at least you'll have her. Um, but your sister's going to go to heaven because she's a good child. Mm -hmm. She is whole. And she believes in this stuff. And so it was more like constantly trying to buy into it to, mm -hmm. like, get my dad uh, mm -hmm. approval and to, like, I guess, kind of trick God and be like, no, see, I'm, I'm whole, right? I can go. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's just a whole kind of mess of things. And that's why the end where they just take these two kids because they're, you know, they're not possessed or indoctrinated into this cult at all apparently which i'm sure they did some real thorough questioning yes. and care for the kids <laughs> mm. to check that out it's like well these poor kids just have no mm -hmm. idea of like mm -hmm. what what to do now right yeah i felt for those kids though because like they're orphaned they obviously didn't want to be part of the cult and I felt like mm -hmm. they immediately kind of latch on to Vicky in particular. It's like a very motherly figure. Yeah. I didn't think they would be permanently. I, I maybe thought maybe once they get into town, like, hey, we'll put them up for a little bit, but we got to maybe get protective services well, I think, involved here. I think if you look at it on a, on a more symbolic level, and I, and I don't know if the movie landed this concept at all, but I, I think like what you were just saying about like you, in these sort of types of religion or religious constructs, like you almost have to earn love. You have to earn God's love. You have to earn your father's love. You have to earn, you know, and that's not true. We, by the nature of being human, deserve love. Everyone deserves love. And mm -hmm. so having these, these two children taken in by this couple and just saying like, hey, we're here for you. You know what? You don't have to prove anything to us. We're just here. We will take care of you could be really beautiful. It's like a really beautiful message to impart in that. Like, that's what religion really should be. That's what spiritual spirituality really should be is just love is deserved. I don't, again, I don't know if the movie mm -hmm. interrogates it enough or really, you know, investigates it enough to land that concept, but that's what I want to see in the end. That's what I would like to have be the takeaway, you know, to put all this fire and brimstone bullshit behind us and yeah. just love each other. Right. And I think there's a, a lot of unpacking and trauma therapy that those kids need to go through and all of the kids because like when you hear that stuff it's like what we were mentioning the first time you hear that radio show it's kind of funny and then by the end it's kind of or towards the middle it's a little ominous and then like if you hear that day after day after day after day you start to internalize it and you start to like feel like the hook yes. for me with a lot of religion is shame like if I like I have to pretend that I'm good because everyone will know if I'm not and like my family will be the bad family you know like there's there's that's what hooks you in and it's hard to shed that you know like just burning the corn is not going to be everything that those kids need like they need somebody who helps them who understands what they've been through who tries to like give who tries to really show them that they are deserving of love rather than just 
saying that and that's something like even years later I'm yeah. still kind of struggling I, with I would, you know it does and I mean I went to Catholic school for eight years despite being Jewish and I was told by multiple teachers that I was going to go to hell you know and that should get I had a, a huge fear of that for many many years and it still sometimes gets you know I'll wake up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m feeling kind of like where am I and have that fear come over me because it's I mean there's there's no understating how much that gets into you at a young age you know yeah well, and that's one of the things that I really like about the end of this movie and the end of the story, although it's in different ways, is there's like a hubris and a betrayal, you know, where like Malachi thinks he's in the right. And then mm-hmm. Isaac comes out and he's like, no, he wants you too now. And it's the same thing. It's like, oh, no, no, the rules are changed. Now it's 18. It's like when you put your blind faith in these systems and you don't interrogate whether what we're doing is right or wrong, yep. like the rules mm-hmm. can change on you. And what can right. you do? You don't have a structure to question it, you know? And you know that Isaac would of course, find a way to bend those rules so he doesn't have to. Well, yeah. Walk into the rows at 18, right? I mean, it's like any good cult. Well, and that's one of the definitions is that you create rules that you don't yourself have to live yeah. by, you know? Mm-hmm. So. It is a corn yeah. cult. It is a corn cult, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know for me, the only other thing I have is like props to Linda Hamilton for her birthday dance. because, <laughs> And I mean this like not jokingly, like fine, like the idea of like dancing on the spot and being looked at like that to me is one of my big uh, bugaboos. Like I won't do it. Mm-hmm. So like to me, I find like a really hard thing and like, man, she mm-hmm. just kind of went for it with her little nerdy. And I guess you have to really be talked into it. Like, oh, I don't really don't want to do this. It so. lasts for a long time too. It does. And it honestly is the kind of thing that could kill many a career. It really, really could. <laughs> well, I think she was adorable. So. I was like, I love yeah, her so much, and I'm so like, this guy doesn't deserve her. Look at her, and she's doing this cute little dance. God damn it. <laughs> right. Who does? Yeah. To, true, who true, does? true, true. I mean, who But he needs to work a little harder in his character. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I will say about that song, that is so Stephen King that it hurts me. Like, I think he has used mm-hmm. that song in other stories. Like, I can, mm-hmm. and I listen to a lot of the audiobooks, and sometimes he reads them. So, like, sometimes when he'll throw stuff like that in, he'll sing a little bit of it or he'll say <laughs> it in the cadence. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it is so corny. Yes. I <laughs> didn't intend that, but yeah. But yeah, she pulls it off. And you can almost yeah. kind of feel her die inside, like halfway through. <laughs> She's like, I got four more lines I got to sing of this thing. But what do you do, you know? Well, is there anything else that we want to mention? Anything? Um, I just want to give another shout out to Outlander. And because um, that. The show, the books. The, just shouting it, you know? <laughs> oh, just shout. You just want to shout the word Outlander. I, got it, got it. I okay. shouted in my head a lot let me just say (laughs) and I don't always say it out loud because most of the time when I do people don't know what I'm talking about but man whenever there's like a new person around and somebody mentioned like outlander (laughs) you know that's very good I only thing I wanted to say is I wonder if troll 2 was kind of (laughs) trying to pay homage to this movie and screwed it up because of like there's the popcorn scene there's all those like like um when they have the little like mini corn crucifixes and stuff i feel like there's things aesthetically that they were attempting to do in troll 2 but failed Mm -hmm. that reminded me of this movie that's that's my last (laughs) my final thought (laughs) yeah i mean just shout out to john franklin for being a legend um he played cousin it in the adams family movies he was I think running Chucky 
in the first. Yeah, she played the running Chucky. Mm-hmm. Yep. No so, way. Child's play. Yeah. 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 And so, Aww. yeah, he's getting paid being being a legend. Team Isaac always forever. And I mean, seriously. He's definitely the best part of this yeah. movie. Yeah. Totally agree. He rules. Yeah. Like, the. The the shot of him with that hat looking in the mirror, just kind of just tilting his fi- his face down a little bit, is so like evil and chilling and like iconic, and it's amazing, you know. Yeah, I dressed up as him for Halloween one year, and Did it was you? yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Nothing like going into like a bunch of bars with that hat and that outfit and like a corn <laughs> cob, because I found some people that were selling elote, and I just bought a bunch of corn cobs and I made a cross and. Went to Mars. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, gosh, I was gonna say one more thing, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I want to give a shout out to the drawings because those drawings are like yes. creepy kid drawings. You know, and just like just the right amount of crayon. You know, it's awesome. The, her drawings, and then they had a bunch of art like throughout the the. You know, I, I want to say I guess like the art direction. There was all those sort of portraits of jesus but with like corn husks on it and stuff like that was really unsettling mm-hmm. i really loved all the art direction in this and movie. could have very easily gone into creep to like camp but i feel like they kind yeah. of rode the line really well there was this mm-hmm. some kind of she had like is this drawing thing that sarah has is it kind of like a form of the shining in some way some ways, i yeah. think so yeah i think she's definitely a, a kid with abilities you know she's got the shine yeah, yeah and i thought that i thought the same thing i always like i figure whenever stephen king has a child with psychic abilities he, they, pro- they probably have a touch of the shine yeah. um also the ability to draw while sleeping which i think is interesting yeah <laughs> and now it's time for an uplifting moment This is where we share any grounding and coping techniques or self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Um, Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through tough days or tough moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good and makes us feel better. And I will start. I have recently rediscovered my love for 70s horror. Um, I was kind of burnt out on Ina Garten and I was like, I want something a little scary. <laughs> and so I watched um, the Amityville horror, which I love. And then I watched the Sentinel, which is, I love oh that movie. God, I love that movie. My it's new so obsession. Now I want to say for the record, there is a puritanical element to it and moral judgment that I'm not quite sure I, I dig, but man, like her, like there's so many young hot actors that are now like the older distinguished gentleman guys, you know, that I love like Chris Sarandon um, don't love his mustache, but love him in that movie. And it's just like, there's, there's fancy seventies clothes. There's like this, the score, man. I, I just loved it. Like I finished watching it and then immediately hit play again to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so good. There's some genuinely creepy moments in it, oh, yeah. too. Like, I remember getting caught off guard by some of those, like, dead people coming at her sequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's an unsettling quality to it that I really, really mm-hmm. dug. So, yeah. And I think I'm going to have to read the book now because that's kind of what I, what happens when I become obsessed with the thing is I got to have <laughs> as much of it as I can. So would anyone else care to share? Sure. So this is the first show for me recording since I've been fully vaccinated. Yay! So congratulations. 
I managed to also avoid the second shot flu, which has affected nice. a ton of people. Like I was just a little bit logy the next day and that was about the extent of it. So I got it at Fenway Park because um, our governor's an asshole and decided to throw out the pandemic playbook where all the towns would have efficiently given it out. So fuck off, Charlie Baker. <laughs> and I went and after I got, I'm like, I symbolically want to eat inside of a restaurant, A, because it's going to be a long drive home because again, fuck off, Charlie Baker. But also, like, I just want to eat so inside somewhere. And the only thing open near Fenway Park was, like, a Wahlburgers, which, sadly, the first restaurant I ate inside in, like, more than a year Aww. was a fucking Mark Wahlburger joint. Hey, but it could it be a the, Donnie Wahlburger joint. It was probably both. It was probably a little bit good. of both. <laughs> yeah. And it was deserted. I mean, obviously, not maybe, but yeah. I got to tell you, man, it was, like, the best cheeseburger i think i've had in over a year so i know for me like we're not fully there yet and biden announced tonight like july 1st is the target for like a soft reopening but i just plan at some point and i'm looking forward to like once again living my life like it's a minor threat concert in 1981 (laughs) i just want to be around hordes of people you know (laughs) and like not saying like those nights where i'm like ah a little too tired to go out like nope like that's it's gonna go out the window <laughs> and it's just gonna be saying yes to fucking everything. So <laughs> I think I immediately texted my wife, like, I got the second shot, let's book the orgy. And she was like <laughs> she was like, Well, I've only gotten shot one, mm. so we have to wait, but we'll start sending the invites. So <laughs> listeners, yes. if you join our <laughs> no, 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 no. Whatever you're about to say, do not have not signed on to that. <laughs> <laughs> we do not endorse right. it. Yeah, we're gonna. August is just. I, I'm telling you, man. Like, if everyone's vaccinated by July, then we all need to live our lives like it's the last act of Caligula in <laughs> August. All right. Just wait for the public health health data to roll in and ensure that it's effective on a wide scale. I'm sorry, I I work in healthcare. I got to say these things. (laughs) But then, yeah, totally. Just Bacchanalia. Mm -hmm. Like once we know, once we know those numbers are down, you know. (laughs) Party for America, August 2021. (laughs) Well, I got nothing. (laughs) How do you? How do you follow that? I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I, I have my first vaccine appointment, and I feel like I'm cursing Excellent. it by saying this, but I won't believe it until the needle is in my arm. I have asthma and an autoimmune condition, and I am fucking ready to give me the goo. Give me the good goo. Give it to me. Stick me, baby. Do my doodle. And that's all I'll say for my self-care is that I managed after a week of like desperate, I, I put my head that I'm gonna, I was going to fucking find an appointment, and I was very exceedingly lucky. I, I got up at like 5.30 a.m. every day. I, uh, I exhausted myself and I just through sheer luck managed to get a, an appointment. And it's also at a sports arena here. So <laughs> go team, go. Yeah, that must feel great. That must feel really good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm really, knock on wood. I'm knocking on the mic. <laughs> Not, not our mic, my microphone. No. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, cause I just still don't believe it. I will not believe mm-hmm. it. I haven't been around another living soul without a mask for over a year now. I mean, like, give me the vaccine. Okay. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just totally fine. Yeah. Nicole, did you <laughs> go ahead? I'm sorry. No, I, I mean, part of my day job, cause I kind of work in healthcare adjacent, you know, it's been, such a change in the last 
like a couple of months, especially when we started working from home uh, last year, you know, a lot of the stories I was hearing from folks was, um, I work for an organization that serves family caregivers. So those that are caring for, you know, older loved ones or kids with significant health care needs, the whole gamut. And, you know, one of the kind of the bulk of calls, because one of the projects I work on is our help desk. So people can call or chat or email, and I meet with our team and kind of go over like what people are talking about. And, um, you know, people were being ripped away from families um, that were living like in assisted living facilities or things like that, and really uprooting lives of folks that, you know, were depending on their family members to help provide care day to day. And suddenly that wasn't an option and having to just really scramble. And so it's been so nice. Like there was a story, I think it kind of went everywhere where this uh, woman got a prescription to hug her grandmother for the first time in a year. So just hearing more stories about that, more folks getting vaccinated, you know, certainly a lot of my friends are now part of the at least first jab club um, mm -hmm. and are excited. So, yeah, it's it's something that does feel good. Um, it's certainly, you know, taken the sting, I think, out of the existential dread of the days. So, yeah, doing that, not feeling, you know, it's the weather is nice now. It was like 70 today. So I went on a little walk around the cemetery that's next door so yeah yeah that's awesome i also walk around a cemetery that i live near so cemetery walk pal yes that's official yes <laughs> definitely well especially now that the weather is good for cemetery walking yeah. too you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there is something about a cemetery with snow that is also mm -hmm. delightful so and especially like when it was getting dark like at 4 30 you like going out there and yeah, it's it's taken a little bit of uh, kind of reacclimating back to it being light when I would mm -hmm. go on my walks. So I was doing that a lot during the summer, but yeah, daytime yeah. cemetery walks, good good times. Nice <laughs> <laughs> built in social distancing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to hear from you. Do you love corn? Um, what is your current self-care? What else is on your mind? Do you like long walks around cemeteries as well? Um, you can answer all of these questions and more by following us at PsychoAPod on all of the socials and look out for prompts. And you can also join the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group on Facebook. It's private and moderated, and it's um, a really nice place where we can share some of the stuff we talk about in the episodes and just, you know, just fun stuff and, like, how are you doing today and also, like, sharing our traumas and stuff. Um, but it's just a really sweet and supportive community. You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a moment and you like what we do, you can leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It only take, it really only takes a minute and it helps others find the pod and it makes us feel good. So if you're looking for a way to help us out, please do that. And then review other pods that you like. You know, I reviewed a new one this morning and it took me like 
30 seconds, you know. Our homework question for today is, what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a road trip? And I will be posting a prompt on that. And we want to hear all the the wacky things along the side of the road or maybe the the weird attractions that you see or maybe like, you know, did you make anything weird out of corn? <laughs> yeah, please just don't tell us if you hit a child and yes. put them in the trunk of you. We don't, don't put that on the internet. Exactly. Okay? Just keep it to yourself. We will report it. You can just it. DM me and we can commiserate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Mike's already on the record, so we might as well take you down with him, right? <laughs> So next up for us, it's going to be a new month and a new theme. And I am really excited to talk about this one because I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, Our April theme is narcissism. And we are kicking it off with Mary Heron's American Psycho. So that's going to be a big old episode. I'm really excited for it. A big honking episode. A thick episode. Sorry. (laughs) Get get ready to listen to a lot of Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, So make sure you watch that because we are going to spoil it. And just can't wait for that one. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. And you can find us here, there, and everywhere by going to consequenceofsound.com. And Nicole, where can we find you online? And what is coming up for Bodies of Horror? You can find me on the Twitter at Nicole. That's Nicole with an H. If it's not with an H, I don't know her. It's Nicole NDC on Twitter. Um, and yeah, so I have the Bodies of Horror podcast with Anatomy of a Scream. So make sure that you subscribe to the Anatomy of a Scream stream on any of your podcatchers. And yeah, I drop an episode every other week and we look at horror films through kind of the scope of disability, looking at different character representations and themes Um, coming up. There will be an episode on Nightmare on Elm Street, looking at three different Mm -hmm. characters and um, kind of relating how they meet their end and how it relates to kind of the kind of fear process around disability. So I'm excited. I am really yeah, excited that's too. Awesome. Yeah, and I will say I love your show, and I think it's just really <laughs> fascinating to pick apart a lot of these things that, like, I think we've seen for years but have never really examined through this lens. And if you like psychoanalysis, you will love Bodies of Horror. So make sure you check it out. And you have an episode where you talk about Midsummer, also. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. So further expanding on some of these themes that we talked about today. So yes, um, Mike, where can we find you online? So you can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, and you can find my thoughts on horror also over on the pod and the pendulum where we cover very similar to Halloweenies. We do horror movie franchises, but we are not afraid to dive into the weeds <laughs> and not just do the top tier ones. Like someone's going to watch those critters movies and it may as well have been us. Um, <laughs> Someone's got to watch those Lost Boy sequels. And it's <laughs> oh, nice dear. But so, you know, uh, right now we're actually doing a dive on French horror. We just recorded last night on uh, the movie Raw with a couple great guests. Uh, Nicole, I am looking forward to having you back on the show when we do Texas Chainsaw yes. Massacre. And you can yell at me about my take on Franklin. <laughs> Always. Because um, <laughs> I've heard yours. So I'm looking forward to some people pay good money to get you that like I probably won't be. So 
you can find me over at the pod and the pendulum it's with uh lindsey travis um so yeah definitely give us a listen and give us a rating and a review i beg of you laura where can we find you oh boy i really i really got nothing for this one tonight so let's see let's see what comes out of my mouth uh you can find me on Twitter at underalls. That's U N D E R A L L S. Just like those itchy, scratchy underpants you were wearing. And what? They're made out of corn husks? <laughs> What's going on? Why is this happening? I, geez, I thought I put on a pair of me undies. Meundies.com are sponsoring. No, they're not. Hey, they're not. But if you want to, me undies. Hey, hey big, big yeah, me really, undies. I, I know could, you're listening. I could build it into my self plug at the end of every episode so I can stop coming up with underpants jokes. You can find me on Twitter at underalls, U N D E R A L S. And on uh, Instagram at Instaglum, like Instagram with a mood disorder. I'm occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. And that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> and uh, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the stuff. And you can find me on the Losers Club. And yeah, and just writing and stuff. I've got a p- by now. I should have a piece that's out um, on the Ghouls Horror site. And then I'm covering South by Southwest for Consequence of Sound. So check that out. And damn it this blog is coming it's gonna happen i'm gonna make it happen so maybe it's out by the time this episode has dropped so if so it's yeah you know yeah check it out read it exactly yeah read it um and if not you know it'll be soon and then yell at me because it's not out except don't because i'll cry and i'm way too sensitive for that um but yeah so so that's where you can find me and that's our episode on children of the corn Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. This was so lovely to have you as a guest. Oh, it was so great. Thank you, Nicole. Listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure you are taking care of yourselves and taking care of each other. There's a cat on mic right now. Yeah, the cat, we're seeing the cat butt. Yeah. It's specifically has, the cat's butt. And I, no it's tail. I was going to say it's a little bobcat. Oh, yeah, a little bobcat. I'm like, please don't fart, Sandy. Please don't fart. <laughs> and with that, let's sign off. <laughs> uh, we came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we are and all, all out of bubblegum. Kind of said bubble corn, and it just sounded really weird. So, yeah, pop, I guess, corn. Corn joke. <laughs> Insert corn pun. Consequence Podcast Network.